Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is June 22nd, 2015. This is episode 127. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. For those listening to us, you should be listening to us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at Baltimore Sports Report. Uh, you can also check us out on uh, BSR Postgame Lives, which are on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You should also be checking out Baltimore Sports Today, which is a daily podcast hosted by the Baltimore Sports Report that uh, occasionally will pick up the entrails for, but normally it's Zach Wilt and Jabby Burns filling in admirably in our in our wake. Uh, other third-party applications you should be checking out, Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes. Uh, if you get a chance, go over to iTunes or Stitcher, review our show, give it a rating, it really helps out the program. Um, also, check us out on social media on Facebook and most importantly, Twitter at Birds Eye View, B A L. And with that, Jake, let's dive right into it. Drink of the week. What are you drinking? My drink of the week this week is, you know, it's summer. It's summer, Scott. So I'm going with a uh, big squeeze shandy, a UFO mm. from, uh, from Harpoon. Is this the grapefruit run? This is the grapefruit beer. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, I'm going with a Highland Park Scotch whiskey. So you go with your summer shandy with grapefruit, and I'm going to go with scotch. You do it. I make no apologies. All right, let's head over to the medical wing. Uh, Big news in the medical wing this week, of course, has to be Adam Jones continuing to deal with his right shoulder issue. Look, we saw him die for that ball during the Phillies series, and we tweeted about it. Uh, Thought that he looked a little uncomfortable getting up. And obviously that's been an issue with him. Um, You know, Bucks also mentioned that he's got a slight situation with his toe. And Bucks was concerned um, that he wasn't getting better. Uh, the DL talk has been mentioned in passing. I don't think we're at that point. But whenever your star player is getting hurt like that and the DL is even mentioned, it's got to be a little bit worrisome. All right. I have a question for you because sure. this was all the rage at the water cooler at work today. And um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Are you the guy that doesn't know anything about baseball and still wants to complain about it? Didn't say that. Didn't say that out loud. Um, do you think that it's possible that as soon as uh, Adam Jones came out of the lineup, he should have been DL'd? Uh, no. All right. All right. I just want to make sure that uh, that wasn't out there. I, I thought it was a little premature, but I want to make sure it wasn't crazy. There's one thing I know it's about. It's premature. <laughs> Next in the medical wing, we have Jonathan Scope. He's in the middle of a rehab assignment in Bowie, and he finally, as of tonight, the 22nd of June, got his first hit. Huzzah. Look, I, I think that'll come. You know, he, at bats, he needs to get them under his belt before he, he's productive again at the plate. I'm just shocked, frankly, that Jonathan Scope is back to playing baseball at this point. I thought this knee injury would linger longer than it has. Yeah. Call me a pessimist. I I thought it was worse than it was. Jake, you're a pessimist. (laughs) Uh, Other news, Wesley Wright has uh, shown up in two rehab appearances in Norfolk, and each time has given up a run. Perhaps he's not the Brian Mattis savior that we expected. 
Oh, maybe he's just giving it the Bud Norris treatment. Get or, lit up in AAA so that you can come up and get lit up in the majors. Or the Kevin Gossman treatment. Ouch. Yeah. All right, next we've got Jason Garcia, who was transferred to the 60-day DL to complete a roster move to get somebody on the 40-man roster. How long are they going to hide Jason Garcia on the DL? He what? has to play, because even if he comes back next year, I believe he has to make the time in order to fulfill his Rule 5 obligations. He correct? does. That's correct. And it would have to be for the entire season as well as a Rule 5 draftee. So, yeah, going to have to do it this year or else not whatsoever. Uh, I just... Don't see the point of keeping him on this team much longer. Uh, the big person that is of interest to me is Dylan Bundy, who continues to wait on the shoulder to improve. But as of uh, June 20th, he still has inflammation in that shoulder. Jake, I hate to say it, but after a P- PRP injection and everything, I think he's cooked. You think he's cooked? Yeah. I mean, like it's warm outside, and you think he's a little overheated? I think that he is going to be another Orioles bust. Wow, you're calling Dylan Bundy a bust. I am. I'm not sure I have enough to go on. I will say it's a lot more concerning than it used to be. I'm calling him a bust, which just means that the Orioles are going to go out there and magically transform him into an ace pitcher. But he's going to be a bust. It's got to work with one of them, right? Yep, exactly. All right, with that, I think we can move on deftly to this week on the Twitters, which we call The Twat. This week on the Twitter, all the jokes. And this comes from Joel Sherman. You can follow him at Joel Sherman one If you illegally hack the Houston baseball team computers, are you committing the crime of AstroSurf? Hashtag sorry. Hashtag STL cards. Womp womp. And of course, there's a plenty of jokes about the uh, Cardinal scandal and uh, the hacking. But honestly, if you're going to throw a terrible pun in there, it's going to go in the twat. All right, next we've got a tweet from Adam Jones who tweets at simply AJ10. His tweet is as follows. In reaction to Sunday's ball game, which was nearly the Father's Day fiasco, and all the slapdicks that said and wished bad things for our starter Tillman, wow, just wow, know that it's been seen. Okay. So he's got his back. It's important that AJ uh, has his pitchers back. Somebody's got to defend him. I'm glad that... Adam went past the middleman and just went right to slapping people across the face. <laughs> um, next tweet comes into the way too soon category. Uh, this comes from uh, a Twitter account called Black Shoe Diaries. You can follow them at BSD Tweet. But the big news alert was a Joe Paterno beer is coming out, which followed up with another individual po- posting that the beer's name should be called Turn a Blind IPA. That is all of the puns. That is all of the puns. Are you sensing a trend here? A little bit. Next is the category that we're going to call Squee! This comes to us from Matt Kremnitzer, who uh, tweets at Matt Kremnitzer. Of course, is a blogger for uh, Camden Depot. Fantastic blog. And his tweet is in reaction to a Baltimore Sun article, the headline of which says, Enough is enough in Orioles-Blue Jays feud. Toronto, yada, 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 with a link. It goes to talking about Adam Jones's hit by pitch, for which Adam Jones uh, responded, and here's Matt's tweet: Adam Jones colon It helped my woba. He's the best. That's true. It does help his woba. Good job. I'm just impressed that he knew what woba was as a ball player. That's pretty awesome. I'm thinking it's that dumb cheaty speech that he gave during spring training about sabermetrics. <laughs> um, this next one goes into, no, you're grossly irregular. This comes from Diane Connolly at Diane Connolly's son. Agent Scott Boris calls decision to demote Chen 
grossly irregular. I've never seen anything like this in my 30 years of doing this. You realize, however, that Boris is going to complain about this tweet. Yes, absolutely. Because it referred to him as Agent Scott Boris and not Super Agent Agent, Scott Boris. Uh, Next, we're going to give a a tip of the cap. This is a pretty cool Twitter account. It was not something I was aware of until the series in which the Orioles play the Phillies. And this is Position Player Pitching. It tweets at 70 MPH Fastball. It says, now warming for the Philadelphia Phillies, our patron saint, Jeff Francoeur. This is pretty cool. This, This account basically follows the games to see at any given time if there is a position player pitching. Yep, is dedicated to that that beautiful baseball weirdness of position player pitching. I think it's great. Uh, following f- final treat is uh okay. This comes from at Damian Hadida, and it says Orioles are one of my new hatred teams. I absolutely hate Adam Jones. Gosh, this comes from a uh, a Yankees fan, I assume. No, it comes from a Blue Jays fan after this past weekend. and uh, hey, That's kind of some strong language there. Yeah, there was a lot of hate on social media, both from Orioles fans and Blue Jays fans alike, about hate in both teams. Jake, i got to ask you a question. Why all the hate? All right, so this past weekend was another interesting one in Toronto. Ejections, stare-downs, and plunks have led to a lot of hate between the fan bases. But, Jake, I ask you, why? You know, in order to answer this question, we thought there would be no better person than to go across the border to Canada and talk to uh, Greg Wisniewski from uh, Blue Jays Podcast um, to explain to us why the Baltimore Orioles are part of the axis of evil up in Canada. So, Greg... Thanks for coming on the show to talk to us and uh, tell us why you hate us. Uh, I, thank you for having me on. And, and thank you for picking, once again, strangely appropriate music uh, to bring me in with. I appreciate it. If there's one thing we are good at, it is picking strangely appropriate music and sometimes inappropriate music at this same point. That may be the only thing, actually, that we're good at on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> in fact, that's the only uh, reason we actually have a podcast is so that we can play strange and inappropriate music. Be like, that. people actually still listen to that? I mean... We just, Greg, just as an FYI, we played the Facts of Life theme song a few weeks back. So that just tells you the uh, type of uh, category that we like to play on this broadcast. Um, you, you do a lot of work, is what you're saying. You, yes, exactly. You own the internet. Uh, let, let's not get too far carried away. But let's talk about this whole rivalry thing. And where and when did this all begin? Um, has this always been there for the past few seasons? and has it, Or is it just now kind of bubbling to the surface like a pus-filled pimple ready to burst? I just don't understand why all of a sudden it, it seems like we're in you know DEFCON 5 uh, right now. So to answer your first question, June 21st, 2013. Okay, so that was the Darren O'Day-Jose Batista incident, correct? Yeah, I, I don't recall any any particular animosity between these core group of players. I mean... It, from time to time, I guess there have been there have been 
you know, like with any team, there's been a, a game where somebody got upset or did somebody come off the bench or whatever. But I would say that uh, O'Day striking out Bautista and Bautista taking exception to it was was where the, the seed was sowed for most of what has come on since then. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you when O'Day struck out Batista that game beforehand and then kind of, you know, said something and Batista took, you know, issue with it and then hit the home run the next game and uh, mouthed off uh, when he was circling the diamond. It certainly seems like that has created some animosity. Um, one of the big things of that continuing animosity has been the issue with Jose Batista and balls being thrown at him or inside to him as well during both the 2014 season, but also so far in the 2015 season. In the 2015 season, we've had three separate incidents, one with Darren O'Day on Orioles opening day, uh, one with Jason Garcia, who threw behind him, and then Jose Batista promptly uh, walloped a home run off of him and uh, strutted over to uh, around the diamond and also told Ryan Flaherty to, I believe it was F off um, while going to second base. And then there was the situation also this past weekend where Jose Batista had a ball coming on to him, and it looked like it kind of either grazed his uniform or his elbow, and he gave a pretty good stare down to Mike Wright, again, a triple-A pitcher that is not very good. Um, so I guess the question is, you know, you know, Gibbons had the following to say after that game. He says, I've got no idea what's going on. I do know you have to pitch him in tight to be effective or he'll kill you. But considering the history that's going on around here, enough is enough. Jake, go ahead. Well, let me just ask you this. Uh, looking at Bautista's stats against Darren O'Day, I feel like he doesn't have that much room to be upset. Like, it, to a certain degree, doesn't Jose Bautista own Darren O'Day? And, and when I say, doesn't he own Darren O'Day, I'm talking about six hits in 17 career at-bats, including four home runs, eight RBI, and four walks that against sounds, against only five strikeouts. That sounds like a whooping stick that he oftentimes brings against Darren O'Day. Do not make Jose Bautista angry. You will not like him when he is angry. Well, it's, it's, it's a running Toronto joke. Yeah, I mean, he, he he absolutely does not have anything to complain about from from in respect to his success uh, versus Mr. O'Day. I think that's uh, part of what what I would what I would hate about O'Day if I was not a Blue Jays or about Bautista if I was not a Blue Jays fan. But of course, I'm a Blue Jays fan, so I, I have a different perspective on that. So the, the first thing I would say is, is it's not that Bautista doesn't want to face him. I think he relishes facing him. Um, he just generally takes exception with baseballs in the region of his body. Uh, and I think this last series, the stare down I, wasn't necessarily an effort to try and get everybody riled up, but it was his very first at bat of the series and they hit him again. And, and I think, you know, he probably knows that that's not intentional, but at the same time, it's like, could you not go one at bat <laughs> without hitting me with a baseball? You know, we were. How do we reset and start over? If every time I come up, now I got to think about: Are you going to hit me again? I, I think he takes it personally, which is it's funny because yeah. that's. I can I can well, think that's, of that's his personality. Yeah, I can think of several ways that you defuse the situation. One of the easiest ones is to drop the bat and just walk to first base. Well, I didn't say he was trying to defuse it. He, <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't trying to make uh, you know clear the benches or anything else. Yeah. Again, he he has been in a situation. A baseball behind your head, however, uh, however you, you might see it one way or another, is usually gets a guy pretty incensed. Oh, sure, he is. 
Yeah, there's no question. Especially with the whole Sanchez situation last year, you know, with Caleb Joseph and, you know, the whole suspension thing was going on with Sanchez. Stroman, sorry. Yeah, Stroman. I mean, that's there's definitely a situation here. But looking back at some of the pitches, even going back to that pitch with Jason Garcia, it certainly wasn't a pitch at his head. It was a terrible pitch behind him. But I, I think we, you know, regardless of the whole situation of, you know, are they pitching at him? Are they not pitching at him? I think you look at the, you know, the hit by pitches over Batista's career. He's got eight hit bat uh, hit by pitches against the Orioles and only 477 plate appearances, which is the most of any team against him. But similarly, um, you know, Adam Jones has 10 hit by pitches against, um, you know, the Blue Jays and 564 plate appearances. And, you know, the question I raise is, you know, should Adam Jones be upset if, you know, the Blue Jays are coming in on him and potentially could be hitting him? I think we go back to the, the O'Day context where O'Day yelled something at Bautista after he struck him out. And then Bautista comes back and hits the home run. And then the next time O'Day sees him, he's he's throwing at him. And, and again, that's the sort of the context that yeah. but I, like, he's reacting to. So I, he's, I don't, again, he, is he overreacting? Well, at this point, yeah, I think probably he's overreacting. Is he going to calm down about it? Probably not until a series goes by where he doesn't feel like he's he's got a target on his back, whether from the bench chirping at him or him yelling at the bench or, or whatever else. I, I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody really looking to calm the thing down. But at the same time, nobody's run onto the field yet, <laughs> so it's it's kind of like the steam keeps building up. Yeah, um, I I, th- I think to a certain aspect in that Friday game, I really do think. People were trying, at least, you know, Gibbons and stuff like that were trying to diffuse the situation. I mean, Gibbons came out there and I really think was trying to be like, look, you don't need to warn both benches, you know, just calm down, you know, let's get everything taken care of. And I think as soon as Gibbons went out there and basically told the umpire, look, you need to calm down. I think, you know, we got an we got an ump show on our hands. And basically, the ump's like, you can't tell me what to do. You're out of the game. And, you know, even when. Uh, Osona came in on Jones and hit him in the eighth inning. It was a ridiculous, you know, ejection. There's no way that that was an intentional situation. I mean, Jones just kind of looked at us like he just kind of mouthed like he he just came inside. It's not a big deal and just dropped his gloves and just kind of walked to first base. I, I just and, and I think I think the reason that Gibbons came out in the first inning was because he was worried about something like that. Yep. Later in the game was okay. Now that everybody's been warned one mistake and somebody's going to lose a pitcher and everybody's going to be angry about not necessarily about the whoever gets hit, but about how that affects the game. It's going to, it's going to change the complexion of the game. It doesn't really have to. So I think Gibbons was just angry that it was just automatic. Okay. Everybody gets warned. And, and it's like, well, they didn't really calm anything down. Now everyone's under pressure to pitch a different way. Lest they get ejected automatically. And understandably, I think that Gibbons were probably upset because he didn't do anything. You know, the Blue Jays didn't do anything, and here he was already being warned on the brink of being thrown out if somebody happened to pitch inside when he the Blue Jays didn't do anything. So I, I thought that ejection was not warranted. I mean, you never say an ejection is warranted, but I had no problem with him going out and giving the, the uh, umpire a little what for because, you know, hey, this is a problem the Orioles have. We didn't do this. We didn't start this. Yeah, they hadn't done anything in that game at all. And all of a sudden, they've got a warning, the same warning hanging over both benches. But I understand the other perspective. But again, I'm not defending Stevie Buckner because I think he's an idiot. <laughs> right. Um, right there with Angel Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> fairly easy to agree with that. Yep. Um, I think he, he was coming. The, the standard is okay, both benches get warned, the pitcher gets warned. 
but it's one of those where it's like, well, the standard is kind of weird because what did John Gibbons do to deserve a warning? What did, what did his pitcher do? Nothing. Um, but that's a CB Buckner problem. And then it, it got weirder and weirder. <laughs> I think it will be interesting because I think that, you know, there is clearly beef between O'Day and and Bautista. And I, I think to a certain degree that that has spilled over to the rest of the team. Um, on Friday, when Bautista got hit by Mike Wright, who, again, is not a good pitcher, which is what you could see from the rest of his outing. <laughs> you mean in the inning of third that he was out there, that prolonged, yeah. that prolonged start? It was easy as an Orioles fan to immediately come to the defense and say, well, you know, he sucks. So he's clearly having control problems. He can't hit the broad side of the barn. That was clearly not intentional. But I got to be honest with you. There was also part of me as an Orioles fan that was like, you know what, guys? You need to stop with this crap. Because not only is this ridiculous, not only does this put guys on our side like Adam Jones in danger of getting hit and possibly injured, but it's also giving games away. And and by the way, part of the reason that all this is going on right now is because the Orioles and the Blue Jays are embroiled in meaningful games, even in June. Um, so I found myself really frustrated with Mike Wright um, and the Orioles in general on Friday for not being able to avoid hitting Jose Pautista. Now, you know, it grazed his jersey. So again, I I don't feel like it was a message being sent. But at the same time, like of the one guy of the nine <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't hit, that was the one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like does he have magnets on him or what? Because <laughs> you, know, you know he's not again, he's not gonna be the guy who brushes it off. He's gonna take it personally. He, that's who you just hit. He definitely doesn't have magnets on him. He does have a pretty good part of the body, pretty close to the inner portion of the plate, though. <laughs> which, which I that's think wants you to throw the ball there. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. He doesn't want you to throw the ball there because he wants you to throw it in the outer portion of the plate so he can smack it. But at a certain point of if you're going to hover at the plate, there's a good chance that you're going to get hit by pitches more so than anybody else. And, and um, I think he's no Jose Tabata. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, one of the, the, the things that we had in our back pocket for this discussion was, of course, you know, the Orioles have hit Jose Bautista eight times in his career. And there is a lot of context, as you so rightly say. I mean, there's just all of the context in the world, and most of it does not look uh, rosy for the Orioles. But it is pertinent, I think, to say that he does stand there inside. He does force the issue of making sure that you make good pitches, make sure that you don't get it over the plate because he'll kill you. But think about it this way. Tampa Bay, in 415 at-bats, which is you know fewer against the Orioles, has hit him 10 times. So it's not like the Orioles are an aberration outside of the context, again, admitting fully that the context is there. I would like to see the context of, of when he got hit by by the Rays, like what situations he was actually getting hit in, and, and then um, if if he's ever been thrown over the head or, or behind the head or behind the back or something. I, I, I don't know much. I can tell you that Darren O'Day didn't hit him. I, I do know that much. <laughs> That's positive. <laughs> That's as technical as we can get here. But let's get off of Jose Batista for a little bit because the hatred just isn't about you know the Jose Batista situation. There's a lot of Blue Jays fans out there that aren't just upset about the whole uh, throwing at Jose Batista thing. They're upset about Adam Jones. They're upset about Buck Showalter. They're upset just at the city of Baltimore and their fans. And as a Blue Jays fan, can we take a few moments to come back and just talk about what makes these players and these managers so reviled? So I, I kind of want to talk about Adam Jones. A lot of the topics that I came across with social media with people, Adam Jones is Adam Jones has the ability to talk way too much and put his foot in his mouth. 
Me personally, I just look at that as a very vocal and charismatic player that's just supporting his team. Um, is there anything specifically that you know you can think of as a Blue Jays fan that would make Adam Jones to be uh, a hated player? He does perform very, very well in our ballpark, which is always annoying. That's always just like just like Jose Reyes always does very well in Camden Yards, and you know Orioles fans absolutely hate him. Yeah, and then the the flip side of that, I think most recently would be that it looks like Adam Jones has inserted himself into that conversation between more or less between Baptiste and O'Day, and all of a sudden last series, not this previous one, but before that, uh, Jones is the one who's cheerleading from the bench for what Baptiste should do and, and how he should. Well, yeah, and know. like I said, but Baptiste did go over to second base and called the second base oh, yeah. an F face. I mean, I, I just did. Then Jones became the poster boy for it. Could have been anybody on the bench. I, sure. I don't. I don't think it was. I personally don't have any problem with Adam Jones. I, I don't think he's. Uh, I think he's had his up years and his down years. A guy who doesn't walk always kind of bothers me. But <laughs> that's what the of, that's what the Baltimore Orioles all are about are people that don't walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like oh, we're just swinging. Let's go. And it's like oh, okay. Well, that's, that's cool. I I liked it when Mark Reynolds, and Chris Davis were in the same lineup with Adam Jones. Right. Exactly. It's just. With City, um, you know, obviously, it's Buck Showalter who who I think gets a lot more of the flack than Adam, Adam Jones. Does. Yeah, he just happened to be on the top step of the dugout most recently. And the other thing too is interesting about that: Buck Showalter consistently got a lot of hate from Blue Jays fans, from people I've talked to, and it's specifically coming back to that whole aspect of he thinks he knows everything that's going on in baseball. He thinks he's holier than not, and he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And a lot of people. That's rubbing the wrong way. And I'll, I'll be perfectly honest here. When Buck Showalter was hired to be the Orioles manager, I thought the same thing as a, uh, as a fan. I thought to myself, great, here's this guy coming in from ESPN. He's got that Yankees taint to him to a certain regard, and he's got this micromanaging account, and it's going to be just going to be a total whitewash of this team. But in, in all honesty, I, I couldn't have been more wrong as an Orioles fan just hearing some of the stories and kind of him taking on a more blue-collar mindset, at least as he pertains to the media and the fans, it certainly has struck me as completely different. Now, I know the the national perception out there is he's a micromanager. Uh, anal is a good word to describe it. And also, you know, like like I just described, holier than not is a big issue as well for other fans that are watching him. I, I guess my question is, is there any way that Buckshaw Watering can get out of that light to other fans? I I, yeah, I I really do. Unless he comes to manage the Blue Jays one day, yeah. I, I don't think he'll ever be out of it there. Um, it's tough. Greg, you're already getting our GM after the season. Okay, you can't have our manager too. Got name it up and everything. Um, I was personally, he doesn't get as under my skin, maybe as, as the average fan. So I can't speak for everybody, but I know when he they were the second or third team to play at the Rogers center. The turf was clearly not what the previous turfs have been. And the blue Jays were struggling to figure out how to play on it. Knowing that we are stuck with this turf until the grass in theory goes in whenever it goes in two years, three years from now, there's a whole bunch of things. And, and this has been a big deal for this team for a long time. Number one is the old turf was so hard and so damaging on the players. We finally got something softer and it is strange it's softer than real grass. They were trying to, you know, play the hops and everything. And then Buck goes out and steps on all the individual seams and hubs and hubs that he might not want to play on. 
And we're like, really? Like, you come into our house and tell us how crappy the carpeting is? It's it's okay. We have to walk on the carpet, too. <laughs> we, we don't need to hear it from you. You just, it's the same carpet for both of you. It's not like we put down a different turf that's tougher for you to play on. It's not like the guys you're playing against have a whole year, you know, a whole spring to figure it out. They just got here like you did. Relax. I, I, can kind of under, I can kind of understand this to a certain regard. Like, look, if I'm going to pick up a girl for a date, for example, and she comes out and she says, really? That's what you're driving? I'd be like, come on. You know, I just washed it today. You know, I'm doing the best what I can with what I have here. And you're coming out here and immediately rejecting me and my car. I mean, at least give me the chance. I mean, my like Dodge was, Neon like a, can get up to like 45 miles per hour. Are they going to change the turf? Like, it's like, oh, well, Buck said it was no good. I guess we better rip that up and put some new stuff in. Hey, if it didn't work for Earl, it's not going to work for Buck, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that I, I think is so weird about this situation is is just what Scott uh just what Scott said about our impression of Buck Showalter from afar and how we have gotten around that. And the only the only reason we've gotten around that is because we've spent time with him. Like Scott and I, you know, have drinks with him on a regular. No, we do. We, yeah. we, we are exposed to this. To, this show is probably listening right now. Right. Exactly. Hi, Buck. So, you know, it's the fact that we that we have a familiarity with these guys in a way that, you know, Blue Jays fans can't from seeing them 19 times a year. And and the same is true of Toronto. Oh, sure. You know, we get irritated by the antics of Edward, you know, of Encarnacion as he goes around the Personally, the, I'm a big fan of the parrot, but the that's bases. just me. But, but even like John Gibbons, <laughs> John Gibbons coming out of the dugout, you know, a lot of people have called him like John Wayne, kind of <laughs> sauntering out of the dugout in a you know slow John Wayne fashion, and you're just like, really, you know, you got to come out like that with like you're pulling out a six pistol all the time. But as we, a manager, we, I like that if he was on my team. I mean, I would love that to kind of be like, well, hold up a second, I'm going to stall this and kind of change the pace of play a little bit this and uh, see if my team can you know build a rally. But we only have the 19 games a season upon which to build that that impression. And so I, I think kind of as we, we talk about this, you know, strong feelings about the teams, it's a lack of familiarity, but just a little bit. But I think the most important component is these games are starting to matter. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't so much matter when the Orioles and the Blue Jays played uh, a tightly contested series when they were both 15 games out of first place. And right? I think it's also interesting too. I mean, you've got two really good teams here. Um, it looks certainly like the Blue Jays are going to break through that ceiling either this year or next year or in the near future. But the both teams are very similar, too. You've got two teams that are in top 10 in offense and defense this year, too. Um, the only thing that has differed, really, in terms of great performances, they're starting pitching 23rd uh, for the Orioles, 26th for the Jays in terms of ERA. You know, the team bases are, you know, different. But in honesty, you look at these teams and you say, these teams are pretty darn similar in terms of composition, in terms of being an offensive heavy team. And, you know, starting pitching could be better. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting that we hate what we really are. And they're both kind of the same team. So I think that's an interesting fact. I think we also hate as fans any team that that outperformed us, who, yeah. who beat us at whatever game, right? And And after watching two teams be the doormat of the American League East, and then both of those teams surpass us, we're at the point where we just hate everybody. <laughs> we have alcohol for that, so we can fix that very quickly. Well, there you go. Uh, and, you know, I don't hate the Orioles any more than I hate any other team, but so recently you had some success, 
you've made the playoffs. You had a year which looked incredibly lucky on paper. Um, it was. Everything was super clutch. Uh, you had a year last year where you just simply put it in a different gear. And it was like, why doesn't my team have that gear? What Did we not buy the right transmission? Did, did we put the wrong fuel in? What happened? Where is the – why aren't we – that gets – you know, it gets pent up, and then you blame the other team for being better than you. Um, I still hate the Red Sox way more than I hate. Well, that's, look, that comes back to the whole aspect of I think we can find common ground between our fan bases. There's a few things that I think we can find common ground on. Number one, we're not the Yankees or the Red Sox. No one of our fan bases wants to see these guys win anymore. Yeah, the Orioles broke out of their playoff drought. And it looks like the Blue Jays are going to be close to doing that. But if it's going to be the Orioles or the Blue Jays, fine. Just don't let it be the Red Sox and don't let it be the Yankees. Neither one of those needs to go to the playoffs anymore for the next eh, ever. Ever? Okay, fair. I was going to give it like 30-plus years, but ever, I'm okay with that. Um, another point that I wanted to make was it, there's no question in my mind that Mike Moustakis deserves no part of being the starting third baseman for the All-Star team. Josh Johnson should be starting this year at third base. Hands down, no question, he should be the third baseman for the American League All-Star team. Manny Machado, maybe he can be an all-star reserve. But let's agree both as fan bases. This is my you know peace treaty with you guys. Josh Donaldson, American League all-star, third base. I, I appreciate that, and I totally agree with you because the man is a monster. Okay, and, and, uh, the, and the most important thing I want to talk about, too, you know, I love Donaldson to a certain regard, but you know, the person I really want to talk about is Munari Kawasaki, who is a continental treasure for baseball that should be given attention whenever I possibly can talk about the Blue Jays because he is amazing. No, not on the baseball field. He is amazing in the dugout and during pregame celebrations. Munari Kawasaki is the best Blue Jays mascot that the Blue Jays have ever had. Uh, he has been accused of being nothing more than a mascot, and I feel <laughs> bad for him in that respect because he obviously puts his heart and soul he does. into the game of it. More soul, I think, than anything else but yeah he is he is amazing and amusing all at the same time uh, I, when i go back to that learned, when i go back to that game in 2013 when he you guys walked off on us when kawasaki had that game winning thing i kind of watched the you know, the post game celebration and i watched you know sportsnet covering it and i'm like i can't even be mad i'm upset that we lost but look at this celebration this is amazing this may be the greatest thing i've ever seen and I mean, I just don't understand how any Orioles fan can hate the Blue Jays when Miranoro Kawasaki is on the Blue Jays. So Kawasaki is the saving grace of the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, if that's what we will take it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way: um, here on uh, Monday, the twenty second of June, uh, the Orioles are off, and we're watching some uh, some of the highlights roll in on the MLB Network while we record. I don't even know. Don't, don't tell. Me. I don't even know who I'm rooting for in the Tampa-Toronto game. I'm a little conflicted. One is in first place and the other the Blue Jays, and I just I don't even know. Do you really want that Rays lineup to walk into the playoffs? Like, Have you looked at that lineup? Yeah, but the thing is, is that I either have to watch that lineup or uh, walk into the, the, the playoffs or, or, or get to watch uh, Bautista glare into it. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a complicated time for an Orioles fan. Well, I'll tell you what. You, you can quickly get over it and everything. Just, you know, just chin up, suck it up, and just hope for good baseball between the entire division, the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Orioles, just not those Red Sox and Yankees guys. As long as we're seeing good baseball, that's all that matters. 
Well, All right. Greg, I feel like this has been enlightening. I, it's I, been, been productive, I think. I think we've come to some accord. You know, a peace treaty has been signed to a certain regard here. And, you know, Kawasaki will serve as a great mascot and ambassador between these two fan bases as time goes on. Yeah, and uh, if you want to trade him for a late inning high leverage reliever, if things go south for you, just let us know. <laughs> I think I'd rather just trade you Kawasaki for Dan Duquette. How's that sound to you? You know, you might be a little closer than that than than, than either of us know right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, Greg, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, best of luck to you and your Blue Jays. Not just not too much luck to you and your Blue Jays. Go wild card. Uh, good luck to the rest of you guys. Thanks for having me on again, guys. It's always a fun time. And uh, bye-bye from Canada. Hey, before we let you go, where can we find you on the web? Uh, we are at BlueJaysPlus.com. And if you want to hear my voice again, uh, the Blue Jays Plus podcast. And uh, you can get me on Twitter at CoolHead2010. All right, Greg. It's a pleasure as always. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, guys. The St. Louis Cardinals are under investigation by the FBI for hacking Houston Astros for proprietary statistics, scouting reports, and correspondence related to trades. As the investigation continues, it appears that this was the act of vengeful former employees and colleagues of Houston's new GM, who used to work in St. Louis. The really interesting piece of the story is not the intrigue of corporate espionage, but rather the fact that this was supposedly made possible because the Astros GM didn't change his passwords when he left the Cardinals. Basically, anyone who knew his login credentials in the Cardinals database, which was, I believe, codenamed Redbird, could access his account in the Astros database, which was called Ground Control, which, by the way, is a pretty cool name for a database. Ground Control to Major Tom? That's what I'm saying. It's got... It's... Outside the box, I love it. Yeah. But it got us thinking, what would a similar scandal look like for the Orioles? espionage seems to be all the rage in baseball these days. Since I was unable to secure the top job in Toronto this offseason, it seems like I might have a better chance of success if I have a little more to offer than my waiver trade faximatic 9000 and my winning smile. I wonder what that old computer system here in Baltimore might offer my new Canadian overlords. Let's just boot up the old PC here. Shall we play a game? Whoops, uh, wrong program. Hang on, uh, let's get you playing some tic-tac-toe.
Wouldn't you prefer a good game, Marshes? Oh, no, you don't. Let's keep you busy. Tic-tac-toe, zero players. Fine. Okay, let's see. Looking for the Oriole's super secret database. Sir, ah, here it is. Ah, uh, login. Israeli camper. Password. Danimal1958. Greetings, Mr. Duquette. Would you like to play a game of tic-tac-toe? Ooh, I do love a good game of tic-tac-toe. No, no, I've got corporate espionage to get to. First... Let's see what the Orioles database says about that kid Eduardo Rodriguez. The Blue Jays left to face him 19 times a season. Display internal scouting on Eduardo Rodriguez's development. Files not found. What? You'd think we'd have learned something. Well, no matter. Uh, let's see uh, what the Orioles' plan for some of their other young pitching is. Display organizational strategy for Kevin Gosman. Files not found. Hmm. I'm uh, noticing a trend. Okay. Uh, what would it take to pry some talent out of this organization? Uh, display all files on Dylan Bundy. Access denied. What? Do you have any idea who I am? I made this team. I brought this team back from the brink of irrelevance. Show me the files. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dan. Open the files. Authorization code, uh, uh, Dumpster Dive 2012. Access for user Dan Duquette has been restricted due to security concerns. Effective date, December 5th, 2014. Oh, come on. Now I'm never going to get out of here. Ay, my God. Well, maybe it's time to look into that other backup career strategy. Where's that damn mandolin? You know, judging by the music, I think I may be the boss this week. But I gotta be honest, Scott, I feel a little badly about it. So I did win this week that brings the contest to five to four and a tie in favor of the one and only Scott Magnus. Last week's category was Weighted Runs Created Plus. Scott went with Adam Jones, whose uh, WRC Plus was 79. I went with Chris Davis whose uh, figure came out to 113. Again, league average is 100. I feel a little bad, Scotty. Injury did play a factor. Sort of, yes, kind of. Eh, I just can chuck up to Adam Jones who's had a bad week in the limited plate appearances. We should have picked Manny Machado. Yeah, absolutely. I did think it was interesting, though, that Adam Jones did get to a 79, despite the fact that he was struggling with that shoulder the way he was. If you yeah. looked at some of the hacks that he took... It hurt me to watch him swing. Yeah. 
definitely some defensive hacks in there. All right, so we're going to move on to week 10 of our Fantasy Boss. Uh, this is a big week. Okay. I got an opportunity to tie it up. And I have made something of a comeback, and this is how I've done it, Scott. Okay. I have tried to pick categories that have tested my comfort zone, that have delved as deeply as possible into advanced metrics. This can no longer stand. Uh, so we're going to dumb this down this oh, week. Oh, I'm going dumb this week. No, I'm just going to go for your standard slugging percentage. Okay, slugging percentage. Um, I don't know. I would love to say Manny Machado, but honestly, I really don't want to jinx him. So I'm going to go off the beaten path, and I'm going to go Matt Weeders. Wow, that's a good one. I am also going to go off the beaten path. I'm going to say Jimmy Paredes. Okay. So Matt Weeders, Jimmy Paredes, two not-so-much-power hitters. Who will own it? Hey, how many triples does Matt Weeders have this season? Uh, more than he should. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and go through the not-so-lovely totals and the lovely totals. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm going to let you cut, uh, start off this week. Who's your good for the week? My good for this week, and it pains me. It pains me to say so because he's one of my least favorite Orioles. No, this is not David Lowe. Um, I'm going to go with Travis Snyder. Hmm. I couldn't believe that Travis Snyder got so many at-bats, but when I looked back, he actually did okay. In 19 at-bats, he got eight hits, including a triple, a home run, three doubles. He drove in four runs. And even though he struck out six times, he also walked three times. Look, uh, uh, average of 421 for the week. He's getting at bats and he's doing it's things It's almost with like him. he knew his job was on the line. Yeah, that or the Orioles are trying to uh, showcase him for a trade. Yeah. Uh, definitely a good performance. I'm going to go to the obvious choice, though, which is Manny Machado, who posted some ridiculous numbers. 448 really? average, 515 out percentage, 828 slugging. So that puts his OPS... Right around oh one point three three, which which pretty decent. Uh, weight of runs created plus was two hundred seventy four. Pretty darn good. Jake for the entire week, Manny Machado posted an F WAR of close to one point nine. That's pretty good for just one week of play. And he had to balance out with some negative WAR in the future and stuff like that. But that's a pretty darn impressive week by Manny Machado and three stolen bases too. Let's not take away from the stolen base category for Manny Machado. That 2020-20 thing that I was predicting, he might not get to 200 hits, but I think he's going to definitely get to 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it again. My favorite piece of modern technology is Manny Machado's new knees. Let me ask you, though, is any of this production being wasted at the top of the lineup? I say no. Okay. All right. I like how he sets up the rest of the lineup in order to you know get extra base hits. Yeah, he's hitting home runs, but he only has 14 home runs. I'd rather get doubles and uh, get people on base in terms of scoring position and allow the Orioles, who are the number one team in terms of hitting with runners in scoring position, and to give him an opportunity to drive him in. So I'm all for it. All right. I'm going to go into my bad. And my bad, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's Mike Wright. And he was bad this week. 
He was bad not only for his performance, and he got booted early from the game. I want to talk about his post-game presser. Can, can we just zero in on that for a second? It was in Toronto, a very limited Orioles-focused uh, you know, beat presence was there. They were asking him questions, and he looked defeated. He looked like a guy who's, you know, you had just kicked his dog. Well, you saw the Masson gif, I'm assuming, right? Where he was punching in the dugout? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he definitely didn't show code composure and stuff like that. And I know there's a lot of Orioles fans that are uh, upset with him about that lack of composure. And, you know, I think it comes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, which was he had two really good games, but you just looked at his pitch selection and where he was putting pitches, and you knew that... You knew something was going to eventually fall, and you were like, maybe it won't happen, but it probably will. And unfortunately, it looks like it probably did happen. So Mike Wright definitely could be a serviceable bullpen arm later on the season. Yeah, I can't wait to see him back on this club as the next Tommy Hunter. But anything else beyond that, it's just asking him to do more than he's capable of. I, I will say, however, looking at that game in Toronto, the next time they need to spot start, I think the move is Tyler Wilson and not Mike Wright. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And that's not saying that Tyler Wilson's that much better. Just he has seemed to have a little better command, a little better secondary pitch selection as well. So I agree. Let's give Tyler Wilson the shot in a next spot start. Uh, my bad for the week is going to go to Adam Jones being hurt. Look, it takes a big wrinkle into the lineup. And fortunately, the Orioles have responded very well against the Phillies, but also the Blue Jays this week without Mandy, uh, without Adam Jones being in that lineup. But my biggest issue with Adam Jones being hurt is it gives us more of David Lowe, and we really never want to have more of David Lowe in this lineup. So that's my bad for the week. Amen. Yes. Amen. All right, can we go to ugly? Sure, ugly. My ugly, it's tough when the Orioles have a great series against the, the Phillies and a winning series against the Blue Jays, which I, I think is no small matter. It's tough to to give a, an ugly, but I'm going to go to the bench. I feel like the Orioles' strength is their lineup. The lineup can overcome so many deficiencies in the starting rotation, especially with the help of that bullpen. But one of the key, key tenets of a strong lineup is the bench, and this week the bench was ugly. If you look at what Steve Pierce and what Delman Young provided this week in 10 at bats for those guys, no hits, nothing to speak of except for an RBI, which I believe is a sack fly from Delman Young. These guys need to produce. All right. We have a roster crunch going on. We have a serious situation in which we need to bring guys into the lineup and there's no room for them. Steve Pierce and Delman Young are working themselves out of this roster. And we have needed them in the past. Everyone keeps saying, oh, well, Delman Young's ALDS double. Yes, I loved it. I was there. I'm all about it. But unless we see a little bit of that in the regular season, it's going to be tough for those guys to keep their jobs. So Delman Young, Steve Pierce, you're on notice. Turn it up a little bit. All right. My ugly for the week is going to go to people that don't understand why we and Chen was optioned this past week. I'm sorry, folks. If you don't understand why we and Chan did not go against the Toronto Blue Jays, who are posting, oh, I think it's a 145 weighted runs created plus against left-handed pitching, you're not paying attention, and you're not paying attention on how good the Orioles have been in terms of making these roster flexibility moves. Look, if you don't option we and Chen, then you don't have the option to keep Chris Parmley up here. You don't have the option to keep Travis Snyder up here. 
And maybe that's not that big of a deal going into the Philly series, but it was a big deal going into the Blue Jays series and having a constant ability to bring off people off the bench, such as Chris Parmalee, such as Travis Snyder, such as Nolan Reimold, in order to get advantageous hitting when necessary. Uh, a deep bench was a huge benefit in terms of the Philly series, a huge benefit for the Blue Jays series. And the Orioles are going to continue to option players back and forth in order to keep their bullpen healthy, but also to keep a long enough bench as long as possible. This is the exact move that the Orioles have made for the past three years of basically maximizing minimal contributions in order to try to get another win here, another win there. And over the long, you look at it and say, eh, that's really not that big big of a deal. But if you do that four or five times through the season, it adds up to a significant portion. And that significant portion can, in some instances, push a team that is you know, an above-average talent to being a division winner. So the Orioles fans that don't get that, you're my ugly for the week. I think you're absolutely right. All right, let's go ahead and blow the save. And uh, let's go with the baseball topic, which is, why are we still talking about Pete Wiro's, Jake? Why? Well, you know, there were some uh, some new developments, quote-unquote new developments, about Pete Rose and whether he was betting on baseball and whether he was betting against his team. Look, here's the thing. I'm going to ask you straight up, Scott. Sure. Should we care that Pete Rose, the all-time hit leader in baseball, should we care that he bet on baseball? Nope. You say no? Nope. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter this argument just by saying that you say that from your own place in history. Yep. And you are not in any way touched by the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Nope. Baseball had a very, very ugly episode with gambling affecting the outcome of the holiest thing in baseball, the World Series champion. Yeah, I saw Field of Dreams. And because of that... (laughs) Feel dreams, yes, but eight men out? Eight come men on, out. come on, man. I think this is a bigger deal than we in this generation can realize because we haven't been touched by the game being tainted by the bookies. Uh, I, you're right. We haven't been touched by, you know, a tainted game of, you know, steroids and drugs. No, and no, but I'm saying gambling is, yeah, steroids is something we, we know, we get, we can yeah. handle. But I don't think that you and I, as 30-somethings, really identify with gambling's a big deal in the same way that the people that are doling out the punishment for Pete Rose do. I think that Pete Rose crossed a line that baseball set as unbreakable. You cannot cross this line and come back. Do I think that he was a fantastic ball player? Yes. Do I think that he is possibly one of the best hitters of all time? Absolutely. I think, however... He knew what he was doing, and he pushed himself out of baseball, and he's out. Tell, tell me I'm wrong. Uh, my aspect is for a Baseball Hall of Fame, moral ambiguity is going to need to be thrown out the window pretty darn soon. Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And Jake, you may hate it, but Alex Rodriguez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> if you look at the Hall of Fame as here are all the things that happened with baseball and here are amongst all these things and it's it's context, the greatest players, I agree with you. Yeah. I think that I think that what Pete Rose did is probably worse than what all those PED guys did. Meh. Meh. Like I say. If I'm I'm always looking to get a little action. So with that, anyone that wants to play me in DraftKings and bet some money, just let me know, okay? <laughs> Javi Burns, I'm talking to you. Um, Do you think that it's complicated that, that baseball has DraftKings as a sponsor? 
given its its dark history. What? No, baseball is completely against gambling. They would never sponsor <laughs> DraftKings or anything like that. But yeah, everyone, go to play with us in DraftKings. We really appreciate it. You know, you can get on the BSR Daily League. It's only $5 a day. Great opportunity to bet on baseball. Can I tell you something? Yes. By not playing, I have saved a shipload of money. Well, can I just let you know something? Jose Batista is in our league because he follows everybody on Twitter and apparently plays everyone on Twitter as well. So, you know, he should be banned from baseball. <laughs> All right. Well, with that shtick now ended, um, I guess we can kind of close things out for the day. And uh, interesting week, I would say. Um, three or four from the Phillies, two or three from the Blue Jays. Keep winning series. Going up to Boston, a uh, good opportunity for them to, again, maybe win another series. Uh, if you come back home after you know winning that many series, both at Phillies, uh, one against the Blue Jays and one against the Red Sox, and you come back home and play the Indians and the Rangers, set yourself up really well going into the All Star break. So hey, they're they're coming home for a series. Gnome, sweet gnome. Boo, boo, boo. All right. Well, Jake, with that, anything else that you want to add besides <laughs> that terrible terrible? I have nothing else to do to you, Scott. Baltimore and Beyond. I bid you. Uh, I bid you a fond. Adieu, adieu. I have one thing else to say. Sam Dingman, thanks so much for the assistance tonight. You're the man. You're the man. Uh, with that, Baltimore on. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.